Good morning. How are you today? I tell you, it's good to see you. It's good to worship with you. How good and how pleasant it is. Amen. Brethren, to dwell together in unity. If you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hand so you can follow along with us. Just raise your hand if you need one. Don't be shy about it now. I'm going to trust if you need one, you have better eyesight than me uh, because the font is a little small. And uh, like I said, today I was reading to the staff out of like Psalm 143 and Rob asked me, what psalm was that? And I went to look, and I was like, is that an eight or a three? No, it's, it's three. I'm just, that's just where I'm at, ladies and gentlemen. So, it's, yep, that's what you got. All right. Oh, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, my beautiful daughter, Emily. <laughs> oh. You guys ready? I tell you, I'm ready to get in God's Word. So let's take our Bibles, turn in them, or click over in them, whatever you have, uh, to 1 John. We're just going to look at a few verses, but rich verses today. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, in a message that I have entitled, What We Are, What We Shall Be, and What We Should Be. And so with that, let's take our hearts To the Lord. Father, once again, we just thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, your mercy, O God. And we need you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, not only to speak to us, Lord, but to work change in us. And so I pray, God, that you give us ears to hear you and that we have a heart that's ready to respond appropriately to you. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, last time we left off, we were thinking through familial likeness, that uh, reality of when someone is born of another, there's typically what we refer to as a family resemblance. You know, we tend to take after our parents in some form or some fashion. And John was bringing insight to the fact of what's true physically is also true spiritually. And in verse 29 of chapter 2, look with me, he said, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You and me, we can say we're in Christ, that we've been born again, that we know the Lord and all the rest, but the simple truth of the matter is that if our lives don't reflect that reality on the basis not of what we say, but of what our, our lives display, well, you know, perhaps you've trusted in the church or you've jumped through some religious hoops, maybe you've prayed a prayer, maybe you were baptized, but you've not been born again of the Spirit of God. Because God is righteous, and if his nature lives in us, although we will not perfect righteousness, surely we will, as his children, practice righteousness. And John is wanting us to know that the way that we recognize other believers is not by their lips, but rather it's by their lives. If we're born of God, we will take after our heavenly Father. And that's the train of thought that John is on as we enter now into chapter 3. And what we discover, guys, is that John was just so taken aback. He was just so awestruck, overwhelmed, understandably and appropriately so, that by, you know, by the sheer fact that we as believers aren't only saved by God, but that we are in truth the children of God. And he's thinking, you know, as long as we're on this subject, I want you to set your mind on what that says about. God. So let's turn our attention to the very first verse. I'll tell you what, let's read all three verses and we'll come back and we'll kind of think through it, meditate on it. Sound okay? 
So let's turn our attention to verse 1, chapter 3, 1 John. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Well, I trust that you picked up on what I was putting down. Uh, John says the fact that we're born of God says something about God and it speaks to some things concerning you and me. Now the primary thing about God that it highlights or holds up uh, for us to see and John wants us to think on it for a while so that's what we're going to do is the tremendously vast immeasurable, I would go as far as to say incomprehensible, unfathomable love that God has for us. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Well, the very first word in the verse, ladies and gentlemen, tells us what John wants of us. He says, behold. This word is what we call an imperative. It is a command. He says, look at this. Set your eyes upon it. Turn your attention to it. I want you to concentrate on it. I want you to think about it. You say, okay, well, think about what? Well, John says, I want you to think about what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Now, this word that's translated what manner, uh, maybe your Bible says how great, It's only used seven times in your entire New Testament, and it always implies astonishment or amazement. In fact, in the original, it means more literally of what country. Uh, In other words, John is saying that God's love is so great, it's so magnanimous that it is foreign to humanity. It's unearthly. It is otherworldly. He says, look at this love, this measureless, this matchless love foreign to humanity that the Father has for you and me. And guys, you and me, we hear it so much, don't we? Well, God loves you. God loves you. And I think that something happens. Familiarity brings a sense of desensitizement. Is that a word? We get desensitized through familiarity. But the reality is it's so vast, it's impossible that we should understand fully or comprehend entirely the width of it, the length of it, its depth, its height. And to truly think about it, and reflect upon it should create a sense of awe and wonder within us. So can I encourage you today? Let your heart be astonished by, overwhelmed with the love of God. It is unearthly. It is otherworldly. It is, as the psalmist would say, it's too high for me. To understand, you see. And as you study or, or think through John's writings, it's apparent that he did that. He spent some time thinking about it, just allowing himself to be blown away by it. 
And he speaks of the instrumental role that God's love played in our very salvation. And there he is, you recall in your mind's eye, the apostle John, he's writing, he's recording what would become the gospel of John. And he's getting to this section that would become John chapter three. And he's reflecting upon, he's writing down the very conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in which Jesus explained, you remember Nicodemus, he, he came to Jesus by night under the cover of night and he had some questions, but he was a renowned, he was a respected teacher in Israel and he said, you know, teacher, we know that you're a man come from God. No one can do the things you do unless they're from God. And, and Jesus says, let's cut through the debris, Nicodemus. I'm going to answer the question that's really on your heart. Unless a man is born again, he can by no means see the kingdom of God. Now, this, this was kind of uh, confusing, uh, uh, perplexing to Nicodemus. He was like, well, how can this be? I'm an old man. How can I be born again? How can I re-enter my mother's womb and all this? And then Jesus kind of chided him a little bit. He began to speak to him of the reality of what he was talking about. It wasn't that which was physical, but that which was spiritual. And he said, you know, he began to speak to him of the necessity of the cross. And he said those words that became so become such an anchor to our soul. He says, Nicodemus, for God so, here's the word, love the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him, you see, to, he was making the connection to believe in him is to be born again. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, of course, we realize that the attribute, if you'll allow me, through which God saves us is his grace. But the initiative that he took to extend his grace was rooted in his love. And the thing about God's love is that it's not drawn to us because we're so lovely. It's active in seeking us out despite our unloveliness. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love. In other words, it's not a love that you have. It's not a love indigenous to me. It is foreign to me. It is otherworldly. It's unearthly. It's unique, you see, to him alone. And God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, that is, we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And this manner of love this all-giving, non-self-seeking, self-sacrificing, others-oriented kind of love that God has. Notice, he hasn't simply uh, graced us with a, a small flicker of it, a, a touch or a taste, little taste of it. No, the word is, he has bestowed it upon us, meaning that he has lavished it upon us. He's engulfed us in it, we've been surrounded and swamped by it. Guys, the idea behind this word bestowed is that of really a one sided act. In other words, we didn't earn it, as we say, we didn't do anything to deserve it. God just poured it out. Not because we're so great, but because He's so great, amen. But John takes us even farther. I, guys, I want you to let this resonate in you. I want you to think it through. God's love does not find its limit, if you'll allow me that term, in our salvation, as incredible, inexplicable, incomprehensible as that is. It extends even to sonship. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now the Bible teaches that we by nature, yes, Ephesians chapter 2, are children of wrath. But John tells us in his gospel, but as many as received him, that is Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born, notice, not of blood, it's not a physical thing, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't do something to kind of uh, come into this, you see, nor of the will of man, not because I wanted it, but of God. And Jesus would say that like this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I think that we often don't allow this to resonate and marinate in us as we should. Guys, there is a real sense. I, want you to, I just want you to think about this. There is a real sense in which God did not need to make us family in order to rescue us from depravity and to save us from hell. Imagine a scenario. There you are. You find someone maybe out on the street, whatever, they have nothing. They're totally destitute. For whatever reason, your heart is moved with compassion. You decide, you know what, I'm going to help this person out. But I'm not just going to, here's what you're thinking. You don't just, I'm not just going to give them money. Uh, You take them to your house. And you don't just allow them to shower off and clean up. You say, you know what, I'm going to allow you to live in my guest house out back if any of us had one. I'm just, we're talking here, right? I'm gonna allow you to live in my guest home. And I'm not just gonna stock your fridge. You know, you're gonna eat at my table every night, every evening for the rest of your days. Well, guys, I think that anyone would look at you and say, you know what? You have gone far and above the call of duty. Your mercy your compassion, the way that you have interceded on behalf of this person, you've rescued them from certain despair, and the way that you have treated them is is without compare. But ladies and gentlemen, God did more than that. Not only am I seeking you out, he says, sweeping you up, he says, and giving you new life, I'm adopting you as my child. You are entering into my inheritance. Everything I have is now yours. And we begin to understand John's mindset. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Guys, you gain exponentially more in Christ than you ever lost in Adam. Adam was never called a child of God in the sense that John speaks of here. He was never adopted as a son of God as you are and I am. Guys, don't think of redemption as a mere restoration of what you lost in Adam or what you lost when Adam sinned, you gain infinitely more in Christ than you ever lost in Adam. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. As a child of God, you are a stranger. 
You are a foreigner to this world, this culture. When we say the world, we're speaking of this culture, this climate that stands against God in hostility toward God. The world didn't understand Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so let's not expect that it should understand you as a child of God. You are light. The world loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Guys, you understand this, right? There are two different families. There are two different fathers when it comes to the people on this planet. And Jesus said the same when he was being chided by the religious leaders of his day. He said, you know what? I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. And they're all, well, we're not born of fornication. You know, they were, they were dogging on him. They were implying that he had been, right? Because uh, Joseph and Mary weren't married when she turned up pregnant. And so they're like, hey, we're not, we're not born for, we weren't born in, so we don't know what you're talking about. We, and then they're like, you know, we've only got one father, God. And Jesus says, you know what? If God was your father, listen to this. Jesus said, if God was your father, you would love me. Guys, let that be a little litmus test for you. You see what I'm saying? Do you want to know if you're born again? If you're a child of God, let me ask you something. Do you truly love Jesus Christ? Because if God is your father, you will love Jesus. And he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks uh, a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Guys, Satan is the God of this world, but God is your father. Therefore, the world doesn't understand you, won't appreciate you. As far as they're concerned, you're from a different place altogether. And they're right. Because your citizenship, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, is in heaven. Forgive me for the clicks and pops, not sure about that. Now look at verse 2. He says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now in verse 1, John speaks of what we are. Here in verse 2, he speaks to what we shall be. Guys, he's talking about your destiny as a child of God. And as he begins to lean in to your destiny, he underlines or emphasizes once again what you are presently. He says, beloved now you are the children of God. You know, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And beloved, now, it's, it's right now. You don't have to, it's, here's the idea, guys. It's not something that you one day will be, perhaps hope to be. It's what you are in Christ. Currently, you are a child of God. Listen, I want you to realize that you can leave here confident in your status as a child of God. 
You don't have to leave here wandering or uh, wavering or wishing. You can stand confidently, presently in your position as a child of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, or Daddy, uh, Father. This, there's an intimacy about the word. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So that if you are a child of God, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder about it. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. He assures you inwardly of who you are in reality, truly as a child of God. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, pastor, I am worried about it. I am wondering about it. I don't have any kind of witness that you speak of in me. In fact, I have no idea really what you're even talking about. Well, then it's time for you to recognize your need for Jesus Christ, to believe on him and be saved. You see. So, who we are presently is clear. Yes? No confusion. However, what we will be ultimately is cloudy. Did you catch that? Look at it again. He says, beloved or beloved, now, this is who we are presently, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now this is one of those mysteries that God has left in obscurity, in uncertainty for you and me. And I don't know if you're like me, I suspect that you are. We'd really like some more details concerning what all our transformation will entail when we leave this world, when we enter our eternal state. But John says, we really have no idea exactly how we're going to look or exactly how we're going to function in glory. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's just one of the many surprises that awaits us when we go to be with the Lord or when he comes for us, you know, whichever comes first. Now, of course, there are passages in your Bible that tease us a little bit. You get the little teaser trailer before the coming attraction, right? And there are some passages, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 touches on it a little bit. I'm not going to go into that for you. I'm just going to share that with you, try to whet your appetite. You can write it down. You can look it up later. In the book of Philippians, Paul says this, for our citizenship, I quoted this to you earlier, is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, notice who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So let me just say this, for all that we don't know, what we do know is that it's gonna be so incredible so inconceivable that it'll be beyond anything that you could think or even imagine a thousandfold and, and infinitely more. You know, sometimes people have questions, don't they? Like, what, what's, 
heaven going to be like or what's going to be happening in heaven? And, and they even had these questions, you know, I was just wondering, like, will my dog be there, you know, or, or what will my relationship with my spouse be like uh, and things like that? Guys, I'm sorry about all these pops. You know, I don't, I don't know. It just must be something going on here. But the inference is, is that they might be somehow disappointed with heaven if it's not how they envision it, if it's not how they desire it to be. Well, I'm here to tell you, uh, it's not how you envision it. Uh, it's not how you desire it. It's infinitely greater than what you could ask or even imagine and you will not be disappointed. One thing we do know, John says, is that when he, that is Jesus, is revealed, whether that's again you standing before him or him returning for his bride, the church, he says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Ladies and gentlemen, how does that sound? How does that grab you? Are you with me? Now, we may not know many things about our glorified state, but this thing we know, we're going to be like Jesus. Now, not in the sense that you'll be God or that you'll be absorbed into some kind of God consciousness, like a, some state of nirvana or some nonsense like that. But you will be perfectly without sin. You will be perfectly holy and righteous. You will be perfect in love. You will have your glorified, resurrected body. You've been sown in corruption. You'll be raised incorruptible. You've been sown in weakness. You'll be raised in power. Oh, you'll still be you. God won't do away with your personality. You'll be known even as you are known, but you'll be brought into the full stature of perfection. You'll be like Christ. By the way, you do realize that's the plan of God for your life, right? I mean, I just want to make this clear as long as I have your attention. Because some would have you believe that God's great plan for your life is to give you health, to give you wealth, to bring you comfort in every circumstance, happiness in every relationship. I'm just going to tell you that is not what the Bible teaches, alludes to, or even implies. The Bible is very clear concerning God's great plan for your life. It's written plainly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed into the image of his Son. Guys, this is the plan of God for your life, to make you like Jesus. It begins here and now. It'll be completely fulfilled when you see him. That's when you'll be like him, when you're in his presence. Not, not like you and me are today in a spiritual sense, but in that literal sense. And I might add, that is perhaps the greatest glory of heaven altogether. Yes, we long to see the great gates crafted of pearl. Yes, we want to see the streets of gold that are so pure that they're clear. The, the crystal sea, the angels uh, about the throne of God, worshiping him day and night forever and ever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. We want to see our friends. We want to see our family. We want to talk to the heroes of our faith and all of that. But the greatest glory of heaven is surely to be in the unhindered, unrestricted, unobstructed presence of Jesus. 
For now, we don't see him as he is. We have more of an obstructed view, don't we? Paul put it like this. He said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now, in Paul's day, a mirror wasn't a perfect reflection like you have today. It was just a piece of polished metal, you know. And so it was always a bit grainy, maybe a little wavy. It was somehow distorted. It wasn't a perfect picture. But the day is coming, John is saying, when we will see him with perfect clarity. Ladies and gentlemen, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And it should be found in your heart to be like Jesus. And if you do long to be like Jesus, guess what? It'll show in your life now. And it'll be realized in eternity. Now, if you don't really want to be like Jesus, that'll show in your life right now as well. I would go as far as to say that to the extent that you truly see him, to that same extent, you are like him. And we long for the day that we see him as he is. Amen. Now look at verse 3, guys. We're almost finished. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if verse 1 is what we are, and verse 2 is what we shall be, then verse 3 is what we should be. Knowing that the day is coming when you will see Jesus, when we will be made like Jesus for all eternity, that should serve as an incentive to lead a holy life presently. Are you following me? It should impact us in a way that serves to clean up our lives morally. We're going to close that if you want to move up here. God, listen to me. God has given all that he has to make you his child. Not because he had to, but because of his great love for you. And since Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and me, we should have no desire to sin against him. It's been said, an unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator. A Christian who sins is a child sinning against his father. The unbeliever sins against law. The believer sins against love. By the way, I'd point out that Hope, did you see it there in verse 3? And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope in the biblical sense of the word is not an optimistic wish intermingled with a chance for failure. That's kind of how we use the word hope, right? Optimistic wish, there is a chance for failure. Biblical hope is a concrete reality. It is a guaranteed certainty. And so 
where is our hope? Um, it's not in heaven. Um, it's not in a place. Uh, it's not in money or some kind of success financially or politically or militarily or technologically or whatever the case may be. We don't hope in good health. The creature comforts the acquiring of material things, and we certainly don't hope in ourselves. Guys, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust. Come on. In Jesus' name. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And can I just say that if your hope isn't in Jesus Christ, then truly you have no hope. You are without hope, being without God in the world. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ. And you will become, you will be called a child of God. Father, we are blessed and blown away by the overwhelming display of love that you have shown in making us your children. God, I pray that you help us to lead lives becoming of you. And we're excited to think of what you've prepared for us, what awaits us in your presence. But most of all, Lord, we just can't wait to see you as you are and to be in your presence forevermore. And even so, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're here in kind of this posture of prayer. If you don't have that hope, that assurance, that witness within your spirit that you are a child of God. Well, I'd encourage you not to leave here without it. You have been born physically. That's only, that's only half the equation. You must be born again as by the spirit of God, Jesus said. And that transformation takes place through simple faith. Just call upon the Lord. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. You will be, well, our word for the day is born again. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know exactly. Truly, it is a mystery. But we trust God completely for his word. And Jesus said, for God has so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you, that if you would just believe in him, you never perish, but have everlasting life. Guys, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so if the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart today, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, where you've been, what you've done, what circumstance happened to find you in this place today. All I care about is your heart, his home. Does he have your heart in his hand? And if you say, man, you know what? I don't think he does. 
Well, then let's take care of that today. If today is a day of salvation for you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And, uh, when I see it, I'll say so. You can put it back down. But I just want to give you a moment to say, you know what? Today is my day, and I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to put it off. I'm hearing his voice. I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm going to open my heart. Anyone at all? So, Father, we thank you today that your word has, has penetrated our hearts. It's resonating in our soul. You've told us, God, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so I pray, God, that we would just give you that all-access pass to our mind, that your word would permeate, infiltrate, as it were, Lord, those hardened areas in our mind, in our heart. Break us down that you might build us up. That you might make us, Father, like Jesus. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? You know, I find myself on repeat with it. Um, yeah, and whatever, whoever leaders come on down this way. Uh, on the on the regular, I find I find myself on repeat, but I feel like it's just a kind of a an important thing that we keep in in the I would say the back of our heart, but maybe the front of our heart, because God has called us to tough times, right? And sometimes we question, like, man, I'm I'm going through this or I'm going through that, and. Uh, I, I don't understand. I'm trying to serve God. And, but God's aim isn't to make us happy, is it? I mean, it's cool if you're happy and, and you know it, you know, clap your hands, whatever. You know what I mean? That's fine. Um, he's not against happiness. I'm not saying that. And he blesses us and he encourages us and we have these seasons where he's just overwhelming us and that's all wonderful. But happiness is not his chief aim for you. Holiness is his chief aim for you, to make you like Jesus. And I'm telling you that purification, that transformation, it doesn't come through creature comforts. Fruit's not born on the mountaintops. It's in the valleys, guys. Um, the precious metal is refined through fire. There's got to be a burning away, a melting off of the dross. And so that's why Paul said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in afflictions, in weakness, because when I'm weak, then he is strong, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And so I don't know if that's for you today. I trust it's for someone, maybe a few of you here today, but just be encouraged. Look to the Lord, trust in the Lord, man. He has begun a good work in you. He's going to finish it. And if you have any need for prayer, that's why we assemble down here, just to avail ourselves to you, whatever your need may be. We just want to encourage you be a blessing to you. And so uh, we encourage you to take advantage of that as we dismiss you, just come be prayed for. So Father, once again, we just thank you for your love and your grace, your word. You're so good to us, Lord, that you, me, we behold the manner, the unearthly, otherworldly, just foreign to us, really, uh, kind of love that you have lavished and just swamped us and engulfed us in that we would be called, that we would become your children. 
Wow. And now, what can we say? But that we thank you and we love you. And Lord, forgive us when we fail you. Help us, Lord, to lead lives that honor you. We want to live for you, not sin against you. And so, Lord, purpose in our hearts to lead lives of holiness and righteousness, light in this dark world to which you've called us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next time.